I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It is Tommy Moore! Robbie Robbie Weekly. Little reverse pass. Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here in studio in Cork and I'm joined as always by Murray Kinsella of the 42.e. How are things on your end, Murray? Fantastic, Gav. I found out just yesterday that I get to see you in person. What is it, next week? We have to do something socially distance in the office, albeit, but uh, looking forward to seeing you in, in the flesh. <laughs> yeah, a couple of elbow bumps and uh, we were talking with our... our podcast producer kevin brannigan about potentially going for a point afterwards and then realize <laughs> well firstly it'll be midday and secondly there are no points but yeah looking forward to seeing it. it'll be great to catch up in person we're joined as well by bernard jackman we haven't been able to shanghai him into the office yet but uh looking forward to speaking with you today bernard how are things there yeah really good thanks looking forward to chat bernard are you uh, has your appetite been sufficiently whetted for the return of pro 14 rugby given that rugby has actually continued uh, during what would usually be an off season D- did you feel as though you need a break or are you ready to just get stuck straight back into it no absolutely ready to get stuck straight back into it after six or seven months off i think uh um it'll take a while before i get a bit of rugby fatigue and um yeah it's it's, it's fascinating looking at looking obviously we're not sure what the structure is going to look like post Christmas, but um, having have some having some fixtures to look forward to, and I think all the Irish provinces are in a, you know, they've all got different needs over the next three or four months, and uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of who who manages those that period the best, and and I suppose tools themselves up to to be in, in contention for silverware, you know, at the end of the season. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to go through it on a sort of case by case basis with the provinces and outline some of what we believe to be their objectives over the next couple of months. We're going to field a few listeners' questions from the 42 members WhatsApp group, members.the42.ie, if you want to join us in there and sign up to all of the various podcasts and offerings from the 42 membership. And we're going to chat about Rob Kearney's move down under, as well as some South African moves on a franchise basis or level up in this direction uh, and joining the provinces in domestic competition. But to start with, Murray, Everybody's going to be talking this week about rugby returning uh, on a provincial level, but it has already returned, obviously, on a domestic level in Ireland with the Energy a Community Series. And for look, I think it goes without saying, it's just brilliant to see it back. Some fascinating games over the, the last weekend. And as a concept, I think it's, it's just really, really cool. Um, but I'm aware as well, as much as our listeners are incredibly educated, generally speaking, and very much up to speed on goings on in rugby, maybe a few of them or for a few of them, this might have slipped the cracks a little bit. It is a new concept after all. Uh, So can you talk us through it and and just give us your impressions of of how it went uh, over the last weekend and what you make of it as a concept? Yeah, so the AIL All-Ireland League isn't going to start until January, hopefully. Who knows what the situation will be like at that stage. But for the first half of the season, it's a community series on a provincial basis so obviously Ulster Connacht Munster Leinster and a couple of divisions in some of those um so yeah it's more local games local derbies I suppose which are obviously diluted without bigger crowds at the games but it is a fascinating and I suppose timely topic in a way because this has been discussed before about potentially going to this model feeding into an, an, a shortened All-Ireland and because of the situation with COVID we've we've got it it started up last weekend. There were three games, I think three games cancelled where the teams get two points each, obviously due to COVID stuff. But the vast majority went ahead. And I mean, I shared some of the clips and actually would encourage anyone to sh- send in some of the clips they have of the brilliant rugby being played. But it's clear that the standard continues to improve even with all the challenges that are there. And there are real challenges. You can't even use the changing rooms before the games or after the games, which is just crazy really when you think about the players being so physically involved in, in the game with each other and, and they can't even change in the dressing beforehand. But they're the times we live in and they're the measures that have been decided upon. So it is going to be very challenging as the weather um, gets worse over winter and, and that's going to be something that'll be interesting to follow. But there was definitely a real excitement and energy and buzz around the club game to to get back up and running 
uh, and playing some good rugby last weekend. So it'll be fascinating to see what happens in the longer term. Listen, the RFU and all the clubs are well aware that COVID can change all these plans and, and it will and it'll deeply affect what's happening. But even longer term beyond that, it'll be interesting to see if this format and model works um, and whether that's something that we proceed with in the future. Uh, so fingers crossed that, again, the majority games can keep rolling on, but just brilliant to see the club game back because elsewhere, as we've seen, say in England, they're definitely not going to be playing until 2021. The community game is essentially on hold. So fingers crossed we can keep this rolling and get more of it even down the levels in junior, under 20 rugby, etc. Get that back up and running, hopefully. Hmm. Bernard, you've obviously had a hands-on experience with club rugby over the last few months with Bective, and you've also had plenty of experience with Leinster schools over the years. And there's a question here. I'm going to test you early with a question from Finn O'Boyle from the members WhatsApp group in relation to all of this. And Finn says, what's the best way to get more underage players playing rugby, particularly given the mess between schools and clubs and restrictions on playing both? You've kind of seen it from both ends of the spectrum, I guess. We have touched upon it in the past, but it seems pertinent now that the club game is back in action. A little bit of understanding between between clubs and schools. Um, I know there's huge frustration in in uh, I suppose some of the Dublin clubs who would have young players come through their mini system and then obviously go to private schools um, and I suppose they're discouraged from from playing for their club at, at the weekend and I think they all understand you know from the people I've been the reasonable people I've been speaking to um, you know they understand if a guy's if a player is, is involved in a cup campaign um, you know his priority is going to be to uh, to play for represent a school for that, but there's a lot of kids who apparently, you know, aren't really playing that level of of, of rugby or, or interested in playing a level of rugby. Who'd love to go back and play with their some of their old buddies, um, you know, at under 16s levels, under 18s levels, and there's quite a there's a bit of a standoff and a, and a bit of a clash. So, you know, I just think that as long as any coaches are if when they're making a decision around around players. You know, put participation at the heart of it, and um, make sure that you're you're trying to listen to what the player wants and, and where you know their their enjoyment comes from, and try and be flexible around that. It's it's so easy for players to give up now, and and there's there's other distractions, and and uh, you know I think a lot of it comes down to the coaching and you know the level of understanding that coaches have, and and the flexibility we show to to hopefully. Keep them playing, no matter if it's for your club or school or whatever. Just keep them playing, and uh, uh, I think the RFU have done a great job. I mean, you know, when Dublin went into lockdown, I, I we were worried effective that we wouldn't play for the period of lockdown. But um, you know, the the RFU and Leinster branch uh, managed to get clearance for for the first team and and the under twenty. So at least two of the teams in the club can. Um, can keep playing, and obviously we're training under you know under the under the guidelines, which is fifteen players per uh, on the pitch at the same time, etc. But it has kept the the seconds interested, to be honest, um, and we've been able to run sessions for them as well. And um, at least it keeps the club in some way going. It's been a long, long time, and even like obviously there's no one allowed to come to games, but you know we 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 put our game out on a on a stream uh, two weeks ago. I was at a match yesterday, Presbury against Newbridge College SCT. That was streamed out. So the parents and um, you know other school uh, mates could could watch it from home. And I, and I thought, I think it's brilliant, you know. And look, we'd know it was lashing rain. The lads the lads had to get changed, you know, back changed into some warmish gear on the sideline and, and back onto a onto a bus and go home. But um, it's just the lads don't seem to mind, you know. It's not ideal, but they're just so happy to have a bit of sport. Um, Again, and uh, I think it's really important for players' physical and mental health. And um, I know, look, we all are aware that we, we may lose it again, but um, I think we certainly really appreciate the efforts that are, are going on amongst the, the clubs, the volunteers, COVID officers, but particularly the RFU and Leinster branch, who I know, obviously I'm sure it's happening in, in, across the whole country, but from what I've seen, have been actively trying to keep us going. And... Uh, yeah, I certainly appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. It's It's been a monumental effort and it is wonderful to see, as you say. And Murray, I just wanted to pick your brains on this as well before we move on from Finn's question and particularly that relationship between schools and clubs or the lack thereof at times and the restrictions on young players playing both. I know from my own experience, like, and this is going back 10, 11 years, we would have had to apply for a release form 
from the school in order to go off and play for Con or Dolphin or Highfield or whoever. And I remember thinking at the time, even as a 17, 18 year old, like I don't remember anybody signing contracts to begin with to be playing for the school. So why do I have to sign uh, a release form or get that signed rather by the school? You know, like what is this kind of bollocksology, uh, particularly when you're not even 18, like, you know, uh, that you were kind of in some way bound to the school. And, and this would have been after a, the cup season had finished, not to mind in the middle of a season. It felt like it was a bit much back then. I'd suspect that in some schools, it's probably a little bit more strict even now when you consider the the level of uh, the level that some of these programs are on uh and the nearly academy sort of uh nature of them particularly in dublin is there a solution to that like or is it as simple as bernard says where you actually just have to put participation first look at the bigger picture and not be so petty i guess and in fairness look mo- like i'm sure most schools will see it that way it's just that probably a few of them need to get real a small bit. Yeah, absolutely. we got to have that shared responsibility around, I suppose, participation and fun and enjoying the sport first and foremost. Um, obviously, professionals have a different goal and they got to win and that's the pressure on them. But um, it would be good to see loads of those relationships fostered and, and especially a sharing of resources, which is probably going to be more important given all the challenges everyone's facing financially, etc. at the moment. Um, and opening up that relationship even for playing, as you say, exactly like that that experience maybe here or there while you're still in school is is something that it means a lot to probably the players and, and their friends in, in the clubs as well as the clubs themselves. I was actually talking to people in Ballina over in Mayo there recently about Caelan Doris. He came back and played a, an under-17s final for them at one stage, which I actually hadn't heard about before. And it meant a lot to the club at the time and to him and his friends who he's still very much in contact with there, albeit he was in Blackrock College and on the way up at that stage already. So little links like that are, are definitely important. And, and I totally agree. It's, it's got to be about participation, about having fun, about maximising the experience of being part of the community as well as trying to win. Yeah, Ballina have had an unbelievable couple of years and make sure to check out that piece that Murray did with them. We need to talk about Rob Kearney. I'll throw it to you, Birch, because you know him well. We mentioned at the start of last week's podcast that we wouldn't actually have a chance to wax lyrical about him on his big day as he departed Leinster. And I feel as though in the the intervening seven days, kind of enough has been said about how great a player he is. And we probably don't have time to do it again today. We will get around to it at some stage, I'm I'm sure. But just to talk about this opportunity for him in uh, in a practical sense and in what he might offer to the force as well it it feels like a a a decent um a decent deal all around i guess from both sides of it he's going to go down there bring a little bit uh probably have a little bit of a different culture or whatever and uh will also you'd imagine offer them an awful lot with his ability as a player absolutely look he's he's obviously um got a huge amount of intellectual property huge amount of experience um and they are a young side, and and it's I look at, they obviously have been through difficult times, losing their losing their spot in in, in Super Rugby. Um, managed to keep going down to a, a wealthy benefactor, put a huge amount of money back into into creating a team, but also the pathways to bring young players through from from that 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 area of, of Australia. And you know, someone like Rob going in there, he's got a winning mentality. He's he's a really strong leader. And I think he's going to make an impact on and off the field. And obviously now with the Kiwis looking like they're they're going to run with their own show for a while, Australia um, will need the force. The force will come back into the reckoning on a, probably a, a definitely a medium term basis anyway. So um, I, I think it's it's brilliant for him. I mean, you know, he spent his whole career in Leinster uh, and Ireland, and now to go and live live in Perth and and, and try something new. Um, I think it's well deserved and uh, you know I think it'll be hopefully work out really well for both parties yeah it might sound like I'm stating the obvious there as well Murray when I say he'll have a lot to offer as a player but uh, what I mean obviously is that he is in the twilight years he's going down to play in a different sort of environment probably a different uh, tempo of game than that to which he'd be accustomed up up here but I, I've, I've even though he hasn't quite fe- uh, featured for Leinster over the last couple of weeks they've kind of looked towards the future a little bit more I'd say what we've seen from Rob Carney over the last 12 months would suggest that he could actually still play in most teams in the world. Would you agree with that or, or am I being a bit um, 
am I being a bit strong with that? He still certainly has plenty to offer. I mean, you talk to him and he's feeling an extremely good nick. I think it was just a year ago or just over a year ago he ran his fastest GPS time ever. He lost a, a couple of kg um, in, in muscle mass, so he feels lighter and quicker for that. Like, There's obviously no doubt that he's well past his, his very best, but he still has loads to offer in terms of a really excellent kicking game, the aerial skills, backfield coverage is brilliant. He's, he's a good communicator. He'll be... A, a mentor figure and his winning experience will hopefully they'll they'll hope rub off on other people um and it is a really interesting opportunity for him i, I can't wait to see how it goes the force have been f- fascinating to follow really the last couple of years um andrew forrest twiggy forrest is the guy behind them the owner he's a billionaire and he's putting big money into keeping them alive after they were caught from super rugby and now trying to get them back onto the big stage they've signed tavita Kuradrani. Um, from the Brumbies, obviously he's only 29, so he missed out on the Wallaby squad, but a good player. Godwin there, Kyle Godwin is is there after leaving Connacht at the end of last season. And they've got a couple of good young players as well as promising that they're going to sign a few more in the next few weeks. And they're actually being linked with some really big names. I heard I heard one about Maro Itoje even the other day because the French Cubs couldn't afford him, but maybe Twiggy can um, for a short-term deal at some stage. But it is a fascinating one to be part of and it's huge for the club as well because... In Perth and Western Australia, there's a big Irish community, and this will obviously help them engage that. Uh, presuming that they can get back playing in their in their home stadium in 2021, but there's a big Irish community there, and I'm sure off the pitch as well, it'll be a, a, just a deadly experience. Um, I have a couple of friends who've been in Perth and, and one living there, and, and just loves it. Um, it's a brilliant place by all accounts. So, best of luck to him. And, and as you say, what he's done in his career, he, he deserves a nice little enjoyable final chapter and, and cool to see an Irish guy go down and, and play in rugby in that neck of the woods. Can I just say, I think we're, we're quite ageist in Ireland in terms of um, when players hit 32, 33, we're trying to, you know, predict the end for them rather than, than <laughs> that's naturally evolving. I'm just thinking about, you know, Richard Wigglesworth at 37, would he still be playing if he was playing for an Irish province or would we have written him off? Um, Dunnick Ryan, you know, 36, like if you remember back, why he left Ireland was it was around you know not getting the longevity of contract. I can't remember whether it was a three year or two year that he felt he deserved. The RFU didn't want to give him that uh, because of his age. It didn't look too bad last weekend uh, for for Racing and mm. um, you know it'd be brilliant to see Rob refine like find that form. You know if he's hitting the top GPS uh, speed last year, you know that's impressive. And he has obviously had niggles and issues, but. Um, you know, it'd be great to see him play to the level of his ability uh, on the field and just continue to, I suppose, be an important part of, of, of another side. Obviously, he's been a huge part of Leinster and Ireland, but to play a role in, in getting the force back competitive will be a phenomenal achievement. Okay, that's noted, Birch. I, I will stop uh, writing off people. No, that's a fair point, though. It is a fair point. It is, it's completely, it's a very Irish thing. Um, yeah. And I know it's, it's the pathway here. And if we see a player who we don't think is going to feature for Ireland anymore, we don't really see a value in keeping them in the province. Um, yeah. Whereas I know in France, the mentality is, um, you know, it's very much the whole package, what they offer on and off the field, how they can mentor young players. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, like Wigglesworth, Saracens, I know they're not going to keep him on for the championship, but um, could he do a job for a club on the field, but also in terms of bringing through another generation of, of scrum halves? And uh, yeah, I think I think they could. It's just we here the model means if they're not going to play for Ireland anymore, um, or not going to make the next World Cup cycle, it's it's difficult to justify keeping them. Um, mm. But that's not really how it works in, in other places. Yeah, it's funny you say that. Just briefly to mention, we'll probably get into it another stage. I was listening to Johnny Sexton. He was on um, the Good, the Bad, the Roby, James Haskell's podcast with Alex Payne, and, and they did a really good interview. And he said, "Listen, halfway through this season, the RFU are going to have to have a look at whether." They keep me on whether my form at my age is good enough or, or whether they go a different way. I thought it was a, a quite a um, reflective comment and it is something that will probably come up in, in future episodes. So definitely one to watch. Are you waiting too long for your rugby podcasts? Hi folks, Gavin Casey here. And that wasn't actually me. But tell me this, what are you doing with your Monday mornings? Fighting the urge to weep? Well, the 42's Murray Kinsella and internationally acclaimed performance analyst Owen Tulin have a better idea as they join forces in the early hours of every Monday to produce the most cutting-edge rugby analysis available to the human ear. Rugby Weekly Extra takes you back into every tackle and jackal from the weekend's action in both hemispheres 
and is available exclusively to the 42 members. So, encumbered by that dreaded back-to-work feeling on a Sunday evening? <laughs> say no more. Replace it with a back-to-rock feeling. Who wrote this? And join the lads, as well as the Members Rugby WhatsApp group, by becoming a member of the 42 at members.the42.ie. Right, gents, let's talk about a transaction in the opposite direction then. We've got those big South African beefy franchises coming up to this neck of the woods to play their rugby at club level and it's something we have discussed in the past as a prospect and now that it's coming to fruition starting with yourself Murray I think it's time to get excited because there have been enough occasions over the last few weeks on which we have said that the Pro 14 is uncompetitive and to be honest it is or has been and maybe the Irish teams, particularly Leinster, have suffered for that this season. It doesn't seem as though it's going to be a problem going forward with these guys coming up. Yeah, I, I, I welcome our new South African family to the, to the party. I think it's going to be a lot more fun, a lot more competitive for strong teams who will instantly have ideas about being in the playoffs every single season, about winning the competition regularly um and it also means likely it means that like every obviously everything has to be sorted and signed and contracts and all that stuff need to happen now but south africa have made this commitment essentially the likely format is is going to mean 18 regular season games down from 21 which i think is a positive move and something the pro 14 or pro roby have been talking about for years i think that'll improve the quality of each game because there's less demand on on using your squad rotating or whatever it is um, and you'll also still have six derby fixtures so there'll be kind of four pools of four essentially split between the regions with Scotland and Italy going together um, all contributing towards an overall league table you, you play the derby games so six of those and then you play everyone else in the Pro 16 either away or home uh, to make up your 18 games and the top eight go into the quarterfinals so just imagine how fiercely contested it is going to be for those spots and listen there are going to be challenges of course um even with the, the the travel, which is part of it now anyway, but you're probably not going to be able to bring as useful a squad maybe for some of the provinces because the Kings game isn't going to be that gimme anymore um, or that easier fixture. You're going to be going down playing against better quality sides and vice versa when they come up as well. So maybe there's going to be more demand on, on the frontline guys. Um, the other big question will be the European qualification, I think, as well, because South Africa obviously want a part of that. They want reward for their league performances um, and that could be messy if you have Connacht maybe not getting a look in at some stage or, or the Welsh clubs missing out at, at some stage, Scotland having a poor season or whatever it is, that's going to be a challenge um, further down the line. I think the current EPSO agreement goes till 2023. Um, but listen, it, it makes it, in my eyes, a, a better competition straight away. More lucrative, obviously, because the South African TV market now becomes more interested and certainly bigger and, and the Pro 14 TV deal is up at the end of this season this coming season it's only worth about 15 to 20 mil a season at the moment and, and you look in France obviously which is a different market but they're up around 100 million a season and um, so Pro 14 and Pro 16 rather will have a way to make up on that um, but just for me the excitement comes from watching the Bulls try and rebuild under Jay White. the Stormers have obviously some players of world-class quality like Khaleesi and uh, Peter Steff in the back row the Sharks for me were one of the most interesting exciting teams to watch before Super Rugby this year was cancelled they had really good young players a nice brand of rugby and we've seen the Lions I mean they were in three finals 2016 to 2018 playing a lovely style of rugby that wasn't just all bish bash um, and kick so there's definitely more to these South African teams than just that but um, yeah I can't get away from the excitement I suppose that they're going to make it better that they're going to make it more competitive um, and just a better product all around. Yeah, it's not just that their presence in the competition will make it more competitive either, Bernard. It's, as Murray says, the likely reformatting of the competition. Uh, it just feels like there's a greater balance to that with, with the conference system, uh, as it will be. And that in itself then kind of, I think, amps things up to a significant degree not merely the presence of the South African teams in it. yeah the whole the whole thing looks a lot better um, and you know the only way to, to uh, stop squad rotation or to limit squad rotation uh, is is to put teams in who can who can beat them that's that's the thing I mean the Welsh were given out about the Irish provinces for the last two or three years sending over second string teams on paper but 
they were going and winning. So, you know, it's hard to see that happen against teams like the Bulls, um, the Bulls, the Sharks, the Lions, uh, and um, the Stormers. And that's that's what we want. We want really competitive games. People come, our teams come into our, you know, our, our home stadiums full of internationals, uh, playing a good brand of rugby, whether that's a you know, strong kicking game, whether it's physicality or whether it's running rugby. Um, and, you know, going there not knowing the result. Um, or, uh, and that's that's going to be the key. And it's interesting, actually, you know, around Pro 14 as well, Richard Cockrell this week, you know, start talking around whether we should have a salary cap introduced for Pro 14. Obviously, he's feeling the heat a little bit to try and bridge that gap. Um, and I don't think that's going to happen. I think it'd be very hard to police. But I think those four teams will come in with decent playing budgets, strong academies, you know, good coaches, uh, history behind them. And I think, you know, they're going to be invaluable to, to making this league better. Hmm, they certainly will be. We, we should mention as well the two that are bowing out, Murray. Look, the, the Kings didn't quite work out for many reasons, most of them financial, I think it's fair to say. They're in voluntary administration now, I'm pretty sure. But the Cheetahs, on the field and off the field, I think, did offer a lot. It, it tended to actually be an exciting fixture, like the one that, a fixture that you'd look towards midweek and think, you know what, like that's going to be a cracking game, whether it was Munster, Ulster, Connacht or Leinster, home or away to them. And it's a pity for them, I suppose, that, that, that they haven't uh, remained in the competition as potentially impractical as that would have been. Oh, it's brutal on them and they're absolutely not happy about it. There's been talk of um, legal action or legal threats. Um, although I think they're going to be in some new competition, Super 8 competition. There's very sketchy details on that, um, potentially playing against all the other Super Rugby nations. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with them. But they've certainly grown in competitiveness over the couple of years, uh, three years in the league. And definitely were pushing and being more deserving of that spot. The Kings just offered nothing really, let's be honest. Um, and it was that fixture that you just you played your sec- second string in, but tough on the Cheetahs. The thing is, though, that the the four who have come in, Bullstormer, Sharks, Lions, just offered more profile, a couple more spring box. It's more intriguing fixtures straight away. Um, the Cheetahs games were exciting because they played that excellent open style of rugby that was conducive to it, but... I'm not sure it really grasped much attention beyond those of us who were looking on a Wednesday and figuring out what fixtures were coming up. It, it wasn't certainly a, a big showcase fixture for for a wider public. And hopefully that will be the case with the big South African teams to come. The other interesting point just to mention is, like, is this uh, paving the way for the Springboks to follow as well? Because I suppose all this stems from um, the kind of long-held perception itself from rugby that maybe they're better off in it time zone that's the same as theirs rather than Super Rugby games being on at crazy hours and fans and broadcasters not being happy with that this obviously means they're going to be on afternoon kickoffs or whatever in, in South Africa and it'll be interesting just to see how, how that unfolds with the rugby championship and, and the spring box and, and whether they look to knock a little louder on the door of, of the Six Nations and, and muscle their way into that so it definitely feels like a big shift and a big moment for rugby generally on a wider scale as well and Maybe we got to keep watching this space for the future. I absolutely can't wait. Let us talk about the provinces then ahead of this Pro 14 season. And let's do it in no particular order, but starting with the champions. I think they deserve that still. Uh, look, this fixture against the Dragons, if you had talked about it honestly two weeks ago, not to mind like a month, two, two months ago, uh, you would have had it down on paper as being a comprehensive Leinster win as it tends to be over this uh, Welsh region. You look at this uh, Dragons team, as it's been announced, brimful of internationals. And Bernard, they're sensing a major opportunity here, which they may not have been sensing before that. Sarri's defeat for Leinster, which kind of brings us on to a point uh, about Leinster this season. You said it uh, to us before we came on air about Leinster having to rebuild that sense of invincibility. And it might only take a few games, to be fair, to, to rebuild that. But they... Uh, the perception of them among a lot of the other teams is that they're now vulnerable uh, and the Dragons feel like they can capitalise on that at the moment. Yeah, look, so I think the Dragons, uh, you know, speaking to someone in, in the camp, I mean, they're coming here very confident, which is very unusual um, for not just them, but for any team coming over to play Leinster and the RDS. Uh, and look, at, we'll know on Friday night whether it's based on on, on reality or, or, or a, false, um, a false perception, but like this, 
the the word coming out of them is oh Leinster set piece is poor and if they don't get break it within three phases they'll kick the ball away and we've been you know praising and I've certainly been praising their their kicking game you know up to up, up, so far this season um, and they do kick it away quicker than they have been but generally they're very accurate kicks and you know you're trying to exit out your your 22 and they suffocate you so bar the Saracens game while they haven't been you know firing on all cylinders I think they've played a very a very high level uh, of rugby and, and make very few mistakes and are and are very hard to beat so uh, look at I think they will they'll deal with the dragons on on uh, on Friday night um and you know and over the next four or five weeks it's important for them to probably to go as close as possible to being unbeaten again and just just send that doubt to everybody I mean I think Leinster you look at Munster and Ulster in the knockout stages of the Pro 14 did they really believe they could beat Leinster and that's due to the high level of performance Leinster have had over the last year in, in the competition and I, I think you know it's pretty important that they reset that that again I mean losing that A game to Ulster you know, it's only an A game, but it just uh, it just creates doubt, and 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 Leinster aren't usually in that place where you know people are pissed off, and there's a level of of frustration and doubt around performances. So, I think look, get back on track, get back on the horse on, on Friday night with a comprehensive um, win. I mean, you know, the Dragons were very confident they're going to beat Bristol and ended up shipping fifty. So, um, even with you know a very strong team out, so I still think they're. They're still vulnerable to a you know a strong performance from Leinster, but you know that's the that's the key for Leinster is just to reconfirm that they're the dominant team in this competition over the first four or five weeks, and that'll allow them to continue to to rotate and blood players and develop players. Murray, I'll ask you about the Leinster team in a moment, but just want to stick with you, Bernard, for a second on that kind of um, attempt by Leinster to reinstate their dominance. So you mentioned there that. Ulster and Munster may have looked at their fixtures with Leinster and gone in not truly believing they could win. I, I think that's absolutely correct, even if it was just a subconscious thing. And talking to a couple of people at Leinster as well, look, they don't view the interprovincial fixtures anymore as as being kind of in any way uh, dangerous for them. Like they think Munster and Ulster are kind of soft touches relative to what they're going to come up against in the latter stages of European competition. Obviously, they'll never say it publicly, but like and it's true also you know like based on what we've seen on the pitch so like as much as teams can view Leinster through this prism of vulnerability based on what Saracens did to them and based on what Leinster did to themselves as well like Leinster will be able to remind teams you'd presume that you didn't come within an ass's roar of us last year like they went unbeaten <laughs> in the Pro 14 so no, don't absolutely be- and also I mean you know there's you know, the coach's job is to try and create belief and find weakness in the opposition. But it's a lot, you know, if you're going to do a job on an Leinster scrum, you know, having Manu Tulagi, um, Jamie George, Vincent Kosh, it's <laughs> a lot different than a lot of teams have, you know, to come to war with. And so, like Saracens, Saracens at seven or eight, or, yeah, probably six, six world class players in, in that team. Um, and, you know, obviously they, they're very settled in how they play. They have a great connection. So I wouldn't like just because teams sense weakness doesn't mean <laughs> they can go out and copy and paste what Saracens did. But the challenge for Leinster is has that knocked their confidence? Are they questioning, you know, their their game plan, their fundamentals, and have they lost a little bit as well? And that, that makes it a little bit more even, if you get me. So mm. look, I've no doubt Leinster will go and, and win, um, and win probably the next four or five, uh, and re-establish themselves. But when a team loses, you know you have to you have to anticipate the reaction and question, you know how good it's going to be. Yeah, and see, this is what I wanted to ask you actually when I was kind of rambling. There is the potential psychological impact of that Saracens defeat. It's a little bit different this time around, I think, because say when they lost last year's Champions Cup final. When they get over it after a few days, I'm sure it still sticks in the craw or whatever, but they know that, okay, next year we'll have another crack off them. Chances are we'll meet them again, be it in a semi-final final or a quarter final, as it turned out. You don't even have that carrot this time to, to be dangled in front of you. You're going into a, a season in which Leinster could conceivably actually play roughly the same way throughout their domestic competition throughout Europe and maybe even win a Champions Cup or get close again uh, where Saracens aren't in it and so it does feel like the book has been closed on that rivalry and that they came out second best if you know what I mean and I wonder 
is there a chance then that there is a little bit of a subconscious hangover from that um, in that they were bested and they won't have a chance to put that right. So not that there'll be remotely an asterisk or a caveat to what they do this season in the Pro 14 or more pertinently in, more pertinently in Europe, but just that they won't have the chance to put that little um, demon to bed in the backs of their mind. You, you wonder, will that have an impact on them? Yeah, look, I think it'll definitely be a sore point. They would have loved to... Uh, to banish the disappointment of of Newcastle with you know beating Saracens on the road to a, a trophy, but the reality is, well, it'll be disappointment. You know they'll move on, and, and um, you know their focus will be on obviously trying to win that European Cup, and, and to be, to win a European Cup, they'll have to beat teams like Toulouse, Exeter, um, you know potentially Claremont, who are all you know quality sides as well. So it'll be it'll be hard earned and, and uh, much valued, but. Uh, definitely there will be a sense of regret around, you know, not having, I suppose, overcame Saracens, having spent a year thinking about it and, you know, working towards learning lessons from it. And I do think, to be honest, and, it, and this, this might sound stupid, but uh, maybe it is stupid, but um, it's very difficult to learn winning all the time. And, uh, you know, obviously you don't want to lose too many games, but, you know, winning every week, um, it's, it's very difficult to, kind of really have a forensic look and understanding of of areas that aren't working well and you know it's, it's unfortunate to lose twice to Saracens but I suppose from an answer point of view if they can use the the learnings from from those two to eventually go and win a couple of European Cups in a row um it'll make up for it. Murray looking at Leinster's team then a little bit of a rotation in the back three but other than that pretty much what you'd expect? Yeah, it's a strong team. So the provinces, they have their international, Ireland international players for the first two rounds. So they'll probably go close to fully loaded in these games and uh, or potentially mix them up between the two fixtures. But thereafter, it's going to be uh, back to their provincial, their Pro 14 squads until right through until December, really, for, for the frontline internationals. They're going to be gone a long time. It is an interesting change in the back three, though. Hugo, Hugo Keenan moves to fullback and Jordan Larmer switches out to the right wing. Um, potentially just a, a nod towards that Pro 14 period that's coming up, I suppose, and Larmer likely to be away. Keenan has played most of his rugby at fullback for Leinster, but as we discussed on, I think it was last weekend, wasn't it, around Jordan Larmer and whether his future is at fullback, whether that's his natural position or you're trying to shoehorn him, in, horn him into it is, is going to be really interesting longer term um, because Keenan possibly looks a little more, more natural in that position. Also, just a quick word to uh, good to see Reese Ruddock back in the starting second or back row. He's obviously had to be patient and, and frustrated really in recent weeks, and it just points to that massive battle that's going to be there. Dan Levy's still not back, but that's another big note of interest over the next six, seven weeks, whatever it is. Um, how he pitches up again after a long spell out injured. So there's always strength and options for Leinster, but fascinating to see, as as Bernard says, how they how they pick up from the Saris game. We briefly interrupt this rugby broadcast with a message from me, Gavin Cooney. If you're enjoying this show, you should check out the suite of podcasts that come with a 42's membership package. These include Murray's Rugby Weekly Extra and also Behind the Lines, where we chat to sports writers about their careers along with their favourite pieces of writing. We've an archive of more than 40 guests at this point, including Reich Thompson. I mean, I just made an Excel spreadsheet and tried to account for every single day of his life in the 10 years between uh, Earl dying and that Thanksgiving with the golf club and the fire hydrant. Maliki Clerkin. A good idea writes itself. No, it doesn't. No, that's wrong. It doesn't write itself, but it gets you into the position where you can do the thing you're good at. And Graham Hunter, who told us of how he once faced off against a young Brian O'Driscoll. A young O'Driscoll played for uh, for Blackrock. I know this because he, yeah. he, hand, he put a hand off to me right in my face. I had no idea. You could... Fuck shit, man. Just, how can this be in the rules? Well, I did when I woke up. So come join us at members.the42.ie. And now back to Murray and, as he sadly referred to around the office, the OG Gavin. So Murray Ulster's team is named as well. I know there were a couple of names in there that impressed you during the A game that will be involved this weekend. Do you want to take us through it? Yeah, so Stuart Moore is getting his first start for Ulster at senior level at 12. He was really good against Leinster in the A game last weekend. He's a very 
I suppose he, he could really be a complete centre. He's got a kick, pass, run option every time. He's he's well capable of doing all three. Looks like a really good second playmaker with a nice bit of aggression in his carry and tackle as well. Anytime I've seen him play really as a youngster, he's he's been really good. And then David McCann is set for his debut off the bench. Again, he was superb last weekend. And, and we know from the Ireland under-20s just how promising a player he is, a leader. He's abrasive, again, aggressive. But he's got nice feet, a nice passing game as well as the carry option as well so two guys to be really excited about for Ulster Michael Lowry who probably is, is we, we know well at this stage what he, he can do and his potential he's going to start it out half and and again that's an exciting move for Ulster as Stockdale continues at fullback and um, speaking of wingers at fullback um, but there is excitement there human more in the midfield is, is really promising and and there's Ireland internationals like Henderson and, and Herring in there as well so yeah, loads for, for Ulster fans to be excited as they get set for, I suppose, the next chapter in their journey under Dan McFarland, which we've spoken about being the next challenge for him three years in. Bernard, what is the immediate or, or short, short-term short challenge for Ulster over the next couple of months? Is it actually just about getting back to parity physically, aerobically, based on what we saw over the last few weeks? They, they did seem off-colour and as you'd made the point on the podcast previously, we're, we're perhaps damaged by furlough as well. Is it more of a physical test for them over the next couple of weeks? Yeah, I think so. I think they they want to um, get their match fitness up. They want to start to rebuild some confidence. I, you know, they were one of the form teams pre lockdown, and you know, I thought you know Dan's comments, Dan's interview after Toulouse. You know, you could see how um, how disappointed he was, and you could also he kind of admitted that things haven't been right, they haven't looked themselves, while obviously pre Toulouse, you know, post Leinster, he was trying to talk positively about it and, and, and obviously give themselves a chance of going there, but they haven't been right, and I do think it comes down to, some of it comes down to the talent in their squad, but more of it comes down to just not being a peak match fitness, and, and I think while he has made some rotations, you know, this week, I think you will see him play, you know, his, a, strongish, a strong starting team, and um, a similarity to a selection over the next four or five weeks, just trying to get guys, the key players into form and be ready for, for ready for obviously you know getting wins in the Pro 14, but also ready for Europe. Then um, you know when it comes around, but they they just need to refine their their mojo a little bit. And uh, even though look it looks good, you know, get to a final in the Pro 14 and and obviously losing there's no disgrace in losing to Toulouse in a European quarterfinal, it's just a matter of the performances I think will will have them in a little bit of uh, a little bit of concern. Mm, it might well swing back around that given they have been playing matches recently, maybe they'll they'll rediscover their match fitness a little bit more quickly than some of the teams that weren't involved over the last few weeks in Europe. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh Murray, to touch on Connacht then and we'll wrap with Munster in a moment, but for Connacht it feels like the objective over the next couple of months should be just avoiding what happened at this equivalent stage last season, if not last year. Um, they were absolutely, you know, rinsed with injuries and they just couldn't really get enough points on the board. It, it crippled their season going forward, uh, even though they were able to kind of do a couple of interesting things as it progressed. It just feels as though they were too hamstrung by what had happened early doors. So you'd imagine if they started to win a couple of games early here and kind of stick the hands up a little bit for, for potentially playoff contention and so on, they could have a really, really interesting year and good year. Mm, it's an exciting time for them. Last year felt a little bit like kind of hovering and, and not moving forward, largely due to that horrific injury list at times. So the big question for, for me looking at it is, how is that squad depth that they feel they've added? Um, just two players bigger in terms of the squad size, but they've added some exciting players like Sammy Arnold who will really push in, in midfield Oshin Dowling when he gets fit again in the second row the two um, foreign signings I suppose are Ben O'Donnell as we've discussed in Aussie Sevens kind of project and, and Abraham Papali who we saw get that red card early in his debut after a couple of powerful moments I suppose early on in the game um, he's going to miss three games with his ban but is he the number eight they've been missing that big carrier You've got Alex Wooten, who looks so sharp in that game against Ulster, who looks like he's fit, fully fit again and really motivated. Connor Oliver coming from Munster also, who's been impressive the last couple of weeks in 
in the A game, certainly. Um, and Jack Ainger as well, who looks really dynamic in, in the brief glimpses we've seen for Connacht. So those guys, plus the younger ones stepping up, the likes of Niall Murray and Jordan Duggan from the academy, can they really provide that competition to, to the frontline team where there are guys looking to make big statements? I think Kieran Marmion and Jack Harty in the halfbacks, first and foremost, really. The two of them getting their Ireland jerseys back as well and, and really leading the team. You've got a trio of, of really good locks in Quinn Rue, Alton Delan, Gav Thornbury, who also will have those Ireland ambitions as well. So there's kind of two ends to the scale with this this Connacht squad and, and then it's just about figuring out what the middle looks like. Their start to the season is, of the fixtures here, Glasgow home, Cardiff away, Edinburgh away, Benetton home and Dragons away. So yeah, you're right. If they get a good run there in some difficult enough fixtures, it'll just flow from there. And, and the aim is playoffs in this Pro 14 season and as well as maybe trying to push into a, a quarterfinal of the Champions Cup. But getting that Pro 14 playoff a, a clear priority. Is it achievable for them, do you think, Bernard? Pro 14 playoff, Champions Cup, quarterfinal? Yeah, I think it is. I think they need a little bit of luck. But they look brilliant, I thought, against Ulster. Now, we know that form maybe isn't as strong as, uh, as we thought at the time. But I just thought they looked... Um, you know, really cohesive and great shape physically, given the fact they were going to have a another preseason post that block of two games. And uh, um, yeah, I, I think I like the coaching staff there. I think they're they're very good. They just got unbelievably bad luck with with injuries and and were probably affected by you know the few players they lost to the World Cup more than other squads with more depth. So um, I think they can make it for sure. Um, I think with the four South African teams. And when they come in, it'll be harder for them. But uh, for the moment, you know, in the current setup, I think that they have um, they have the tools to to just be just scrape in uh, into that into that playoff uh, spot. Looking at Munster, then Shader get off the pot was their message a couple of weeks ago, Bernard, to some of their more senior players, and it feels as though this season will replicate that for Johan Van Gran, if not quite his support staff. Um, this year is about really winning a trophy or at least breaking that semi-final Doc Murray if you wanted to be conservative about it but I think a lot of Munster fans including Eric, Eric Fitzgerald the 42 member who had a question about this in the WhatsApp group as well will want to see some of those young players blooded or, or giving more, given more opportunity than they were given last season for certain uh, Eric's question in the group was just given Van Grant's comments about Hodnett, Casey, Healy et al pushing for spots in Munster's European team who are the panel most excited for brackets who's not Craig Casey as we all know he's class uh, so uh, that kind of feels like the vibe from Munster fans like get us into a final at least but also do so by uh, by developing some new players basically or at least developing some new senior players and it might only take three or four to, to kick them onto the next level along with those two new Springboks. Uh, so in a roundabout way, I'm asking you, who are you most excited to see? I'll ask Bernard as well. Um, but from that Munster uh, kind of academy contingent or, or academy graduates, who would you like to see figure most in the next couple of weeks? Yeah, I suppose we've, we've kind of touched on this a, a fair bit. Yeah, Tom Ahern would be the one that I'd be keeping an eye on. There's several of them there, as you mentioned, a really nice crop of young players. And it was interesting to hear those comments from Johan van Graan talking about the starting 15, we don't want them to get comfortable. The reality is they have been too comfortable and, and now that needs to change and there needs to be more competition and more uncertainty. And there's certainly been a perception in a squad away from those guys who've probably been in the starting 15 that, that it has been a little bit too comfy, maybe too many favourites. So that's a big that's a big step I think even just saying it from Johan van Graan but what really needs to happen is, is backing it up and people like Munster fans really feeling that these young players are getting opportunities in, in decent games with some experience around them you don't just throw everyone in obviously you got to intelligently plan it and, and give a couple opportunities here and there amongst the senior experience but there is a crop there and, and definitely feels like time for Munster to be brave and, and take that step and, and back players who look to be more than good enough, more than enough potential. Hmm, maybe, maybe be braver and less faithful, Bernard. You're a big Hodnett guy. Uh, is there anybody else kind of pushing on there or knocking on the door there that you'd look to look forward to seeing in a Monster jersey over the next two months? Yeah, or so? I, look, I like Jack O'Sullivan um, a lot as well. Obviously, he's had a had a year with with, a, with an injury, but when he played under twenties, he looked to have a little bit more than, than your normal um, on a 20s back row. And unfortunately for them, the back row probably isn't, you know, the immediate area of concern. Um, you know, I agree with uh, with Murray around a Hearn. Probably for me, they probably need to find a prop. 
um, another uh, and maybe two. So uh, how Solano uh, develops and Knox develops um, could be key for them. You know, they're not going to be able to bring in a foreign prop. You you wouldn't think having obviously gone out and got two two top class um, internationals. So I think their progress and the game time they get um, is uh, Solano. Solano is obviously more interesting just because of you know how how impressive he is as an athlete and but obviously there's the rawness there so if they are going to go toe to toe with 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 the top teams in Europe um they need to develop you know they need to bring through that power and um you know we know Steinman will give them power Delandy will give them power Hodnett will give them power um and you know Solano or Knox their development um could be key to their chances of of knocking on the door for for silver over the next couple of years I think Murray, we're a little bit caught for time and I'm sure we'll be talking about Munster's sort of style of play, the impact of Larkham and, and maybe to a lesser extent Roundtree over the season as it progresses. But if I could ask you before we wrap, if there was one of those young Munster players that you could foresee replacing the ever-present or the, the first choice over the last couple of years in the first team, who would it be? Like, are we talking, like, could you see a changing of the guard between Murray and Casey at some point this season is a little bit premature still or is it one of those forwards more explosive forwards that you could actually see becoming a staple of this team this season because Van Grand is talking about European games he's not just talking about Pro 14 so uh, if he's good to his word it should be the case that a couple of these guys will become mainstays in the team mm. yeah I, I can definitely see it happening I mean why not Craig Casey why, why can't he push in and Every single time he's got an opportunity, he's looked really good. He's already a bit of a leader in the group. And Kyrie Murray probably hasn't hit the heights. You need to give Casey the chance to do it. it. Obviously, Murray's out injured at the moment, so maybe an ideal opportunity to put that pressure on Conor Murray and put him in a position where he's fighting for his position and his, his next contract, whatever it is. I think that would be a really positive thing. I don't think it's you know impossible to imagine Casey pushing through and being the, the starter there. Um, maybe a tight head prop that's going to be a, a longer term project because it is a position you got to learn as well but the potential is there um, and Hodnett's a really interesting one because while Munster do obviously have all those back row options and, and, and that maybe the seven one and, and the more obvious open side flanker is, is one they've been looking to settle on and haven't really in terms of the makeup of their back row so those are uh, two guys Hodnett and Casey certainly who feel like they're maybe on the brink same question to you, Bernard, before we go. Briefly, if there was one guy that you could see breaking into that team, who would it be? Casey. Nice one. Gentlemen, thank you as always. And thanks to everybody at home as well. All of the 42 members who sent on questions. Apologies, I didn't get to more of them. We're a little bit caught for time this week because Murray and I both have separate interviews after this recording. Uh, Bernard, thanks as always. Murray, thank you. Thanks to everybody at home. I'm going around in circles here. We'll be back soon. And until then, mind yourselves, take it easy. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It's coming Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Little reverse pass. Oh, 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 oh